evening, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Every time I've met with you all, we've had a message out of this chapter. We're going to finish it up tonight. This will be the, the last message out of this chapter, Lord willing. If you would look down at verse 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul speaks and he says, We, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. Now Paul uses a phrase here, it is not found anywhere else in the scriptures. I looked, and that phrase is this, the spirit of faith. Now, we think of a man's spirit, you think of men of bold spirit, men who are bold, confident. Men of weak, timid spirit, shy, reserved. We think of a child, maybe he's mischievous, he's, he's mouthy, we call, he's spirited. He's a spirited kid, right? But a man has a spirit, a spirit about him. This is the spirit of every believer. This is what he does. The spirit of faith. He trusts Christ. And Paul's going to use verses 13 all the way down to the end of the chapter to explain what that spirit of faith is, what that looks like. But before we get into that, I went through and I looked everywhere in the scripture where it uses that term, the spirit of something. I looked at some of these things. We're going to look at some of these scriptures. And this list is not all inclusive, but I want just to pick out a few and talk about them real quick because they have... Well, yet they display the gospel beautifully and simply, I believe. The first one I'm going to give you is this, and you don't have to turn to these. I'll read these to you. This is Romans 8, verse 2. Paul says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, Paul addresses two laws here. He says, The law of sin and death. What is that law? Why does a man die? He dies because he's a sinner. We're born in this world sinners, nothing more. And as soon as we're born, we begin that process of dying. This whole life is spent dying. That's what we do. A man dies because he's a sinner. Why does a man die the second death? If the Lord passes that man by and he leaves him to himself and that man goes to hell, why does he suffer there? Because God is just and he must punish sin. It is part of his character. But Paul says this for the believer. He says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ hath made me free from that law of sin and death. We're in Christ. And in Christ we have life. Because in Christ the justice of God has already been satisfied. In Christ we have the very life of Christ, the righteousness. In Christ we have the very sufferings of Christ on our behalf. In Christ we have the death of Christ. In Christ we have the resurrection of Christ. In Christ there is life, and that law of sin and death can never touch us because it touched him. Romans 8.15 says this. Paul says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage. I'm talking about the spirit of something here. Again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You know what happens when someone is adopted? When someone is adopted, they become heirs of whoever adopted them. 
which means whoever adopted them, they get everything that that one who adopted them has. And it says right here, we're the children of God, adopted by God himself, if you're a believer. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. And everything God has, everything Christ has, it truly is ours. Full acceptance with God, we have that in Christ. Full favor with God, full access. Come boldly now to the throne of grace. Don't hold yourself off. Come boldly now in Christ. We have free access. All that God has, it is ours. We've been adopted. Not just children of adoption, child by birth as well. We're born of the Holy Spirit. We have the very Spirit of God dwelling in us. That's why we have the spirit of faith here. And this thing it says here, it says, Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Everyone who's been adopted, the adopted sons and daughters of God, they do the exact same thing. They cry, Father. And to cry, Father, is not just to address this, the Lord in His most dominant office as God the Father. What is a Father? Father's the Sovereign. We're crying out to Him, Lord, in His sovereign character, You are the one who rules. You are the one who reigns. You are the one who controls all men. All men rest in the palm of Your hand. Salvation is Yours. You can give it, you can withhold it, and you're right, whatever you do. But to call out to Him the Father, the Sovereign, it's not just calling out to Him in that office. We are relying on Him in that attribute. He must be sovereign. I must have a sovereign Savior that overrules my will, that overrules the will of everything else, that always has His will be done. That's the only way I can be saved is if my Savior, if my God is sovereign, I must have Him in that office. I'm relying on that attribute. And to call on Him as the Father is to call on Him as the provider. What does a father do? He provides for his family. Father, provide for me. Everything you require... You require perfection. You require righteousness. You require holiness. You require a perfect life. Provide all those things for me. Provide for me and protect me. Protect me all the way to the end. We cry. Everybody who's been adopted, the sons and daughters of God, they cry, Abba, Father, Sovereign, Provider, Protector. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. You're free. If right now your hope is in Christ, you are free from bondage. You're free from the bondage of the law. The law has absolutely nothing to say to you because Christ kept the law. And when he kept the law, you kept the law. The justice of God is satisfied in Christ. You have no sin. Christ put it all away. The law of God, it's completely satisfied. Christ kept the law. You kept the law on him. And now you're free. Trust Christ and do whatever it is you want. That's a true statement. You're free. But here's the thing. You can't. Not like you really want to. What would you do? I'd never sin again. What would you do? I would take the lowest seat. And I would always honor my brother as better than me. I would believe God at all times, never doubting, never once. I would love my God with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength and love my neighbor and myself. That's what I would do. But as long as I'm in this world, as long as we're in this world, we're going to drag around this old man, this old nature with us. And so we cannot do exactly what it is we want to do. But the point is, folks, you're free. You're free from the law. You have freedom in Christ. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, can you identify with that? 
being overtaken in a fault, I can identify with that. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. He speaks of the spirit of meekness. And this is just not an attitude we have toward our brethren. This is the attitude of the believer before his God. It's a spirit of meekness, a spirit of lowliness, a spirit of humility. Why? Because we're sinners. Because the Lord doesn't owe us anything. Because we can't bring anything to the table. We have the spirit of meekness before our God because he owes us absolutely nothing. This is 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. You know who has a reason to fear? This is a man who has a reason to fear. It is a man who is coming to God on the grounds of his own obedience, seeking favor with God. He has a reason to fear because he will never be accepted that way. But for the believer, one who's coming, pleading nothing but what Abel pleaded, the lamb slain alone, that's it. He has absolutely no reason to fear. And he's been given this. He's been given the spirit of power. He knows that Christ is the power of his salvation. And any strength he has, the strength to believe, the strength to repent, the strength to love God, that's the power of God in him. It all came from him. It's his power. He has the spirit of love. He actually loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He actually loves his people. He loves Christ as he is. He wouldn't change him. He loves him in all his attributes, his sovereignty, his holiness, his immutability, his omniscience. He loves every attribute and he needs every attribute. He relies on those attributes of God. He wouldn't change him if he could. He loves the fact that Christ gets all the glory in salvation. He wouldn't have it any other way. Because if Christ gets all the glory, that means Christ has earned all the glory, which means he's done all the work. And that's what we need. We need a Savior who does all the work. And he's been given the spirit of a sound mind. What does a sound mind look like? Let me read this to you. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, it says this. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is the sound mind that every believer is given. Number one, it does this. All the strongholds are pulled down. Those strongholds of our works, strongholds of our will, those things we have confidence in are ourselves. When we're given that sound mind, those strongholds are pulled down. And every thought is brought into the captivity of the obedience of Christ. What's our only hope? Christ is our obedience. He was obedient to his Father in all things. He was obedient even unto death. It is his obedience. That is my hope before God. Every thought about salvation is brought into this captivity. We can't get away from it. We can't think anything else. It is Christ's obedience, not my own. That's a sound mind. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this thing of the spirit of faith. I've got to think of six things for you here. Look down to 2 Corinthians verse 4 and look at verse 13 again. Paul says, we having the same spirit of faith. If a man has the spirit of faith, he has the common faith. Now when Paul was writing to Titus, this is what he said to him. This is Titus 1.4. He said to Titus, mine own son after the common 
faith. Every believer has the exact same faith. Every believer believes the exact same thing. Now, this is not common to the natural man. The natural man cannot believe. He will not believe because he hates the God on which this faith rests. But this common faith, it is common to every believer. Every believer believes the exact same thing, and they believe on the exact same one. And this faith had to have a starting place. Somebody had to have this faith first. You want to know who it was? I'm going to read it to you. This is Ephesians 1 verse 12, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. Who first trusted Christ? It was God the Father. Before the world began, God the Father trusted the Lord Jesus Christ with the two things He held most dear to Him. Here's the two things. His own glory, the glory of the Godhead united. That's the first thing. And here's the second thing He trusted Christ with, those He loved, His elect people. God the Father was the first one to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that covenant of grace, He gave to Christ those things that were more, most important to Him. He said, here's my people. These are my people. These are your people. These are the ones I love. They are now yours. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to go. You're going to live for them. You're going to die for them. And you are going to return them to me without a scratch on them. And I'm going to hold you 100% accountable. I'm not going to hold them accountable for themselves in any way, shape, or form. Nothing will be put on them. Everything will rest on your shoulders. Success or failure, it will rest completely with you. And this was always God's purpose. That through the salvation of these particular people, these people that God loved and He's always loved eternally, this would be the pinnacle of the glory for the Godhead. Through this single-handed salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ, the pinnacle of the glory of the Godhead would be achieved. These two things intricately linked. Lord's people and God's glory. And God the Father trusted Christ with every bit of it. He said, my hands are off. It's on you. He had no plan B. He had no safety net. He completely and utterly trusted Christ to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And he didn't have a plan B and he didn't have a safety net because Christ can't fail. It's impossible. And the faith of the believer is the exact same. It is the faith that the Father had in Christ. We trust him to deliver us safe and sound before the Father without a scratch on us and he's going to do everything. Everything that God requires. He's going to do. He has done. It's over with. It's finished. And now we just rest in Him. Folks, that's the spirit of faith right there. It is the same faith that God the Father had. If a man has the spirit of faith, his faith is grounded in what is written. Look at verse 13 again. We having the same spirit of faith according to as it is written. How do we know who to believe on? How do we know what to believe? Because it's written right here. This is 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21. It said, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. This book right here, it doesn't mean something to one person. It means something different to somebody else. This means exactly what God means for it to mean. It has one meaning. Christ did it all. That's the meaning of this book right here. It has one meaning. It's not open to any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is God's word. It is inerrant. It is error-free. 
God wrote this book, and he wrote it without error, and he has preserved this book, and he always will preserve this book, and this is the grounds of everything we believe. If it does not come from this book, it is not to be believed. It is not true. And if it comes from this book, it must be believed. Everything God has to say to man in this world is from this book. That's it. What is the grounds of who we believe? It is written. I was thinking of this. I'll share this with you. What about this? There's plenty of stuff I read in this book, and I read it, and I say, I just don't understand. I don't understand what that means. Happens all the time. I read through this book. I don't know what that means. What am I supposed to believe about that? I believe whatever God means about that. And here's what I mean by this. Let me see if I can explain this to you. Think of the thief on the cross. He's a man who the Lord saved him in the last moments of his life. Probably spent the shortest amount of time as a believer on this earth than just about anybody. Right? If the Lord would have looked at that man and said, thief on the cross, do you believe that every believer has two distinct separate natures? One being the old man that's nothing but sin, that can do nothing but sin, that doesn't believe God, that can't believe God, that hates God naturally. And he has a new man. He has a new nature that's holy, that's perfect, that believes God at all times, that cannot change. Do you believe that thief? What did the thief know? All he knew was, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You're the Lord and you're coming into your kingdom. And if you remember me, I'll be saved. That's all he knew. But if the Lord would have said that, do you believe this thief? I suspect he would have said this. Lord, you tell me. You simply tell me what to believe. Anything comes out of your mouth, that's what I'm going to believe. That's the spirit of faith, folks. Whatever God says, whatever he meant, that's what I believe. Spirit of faith. Where are we at? If a man has a spirit of faith, he speaks what he believes. Now look at verse 13 again. Paul says, we having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. Now that is a quotation from Psalm 116. That is David speaking. But this is the scripture that I thought of when Paul said that. This is Luke 6.45. Just listen to it. It says, a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Now every believer, he has this new heart, this perfect heart. And this heart is abundant. It is full. It's full of Christ. It's full of love for Christ. It is full of adoration for the person of Christ. And you know what's going to happen in that heart? It's going to come out of the mouth. The abundance of the heart comes out the mouth. And this is the beautiful thing about the believer. We all speak the exact same thing. Asking these questions. You'll hear the exact same thing at every believer. How about this? Ask them, what are you in and of yourself before God? Every believer is going to say the same thing. I'm a sinner. Nothing more. I've got nothing to bring to the table. I've got nothing that God would be pleased with. I have absolutely nothing. My hope's in Christ. I'm a sinner. Nothing more before God. Every believer is going to speak the exact same thing. Ask him this. Do you choose Christ? Or Christ choose you? Christ chose me. It's my only hope. My only hope is before the world began, God chose me. That he loved me. 
that he saved me and he's going to preserve me all the way to the end. That's my only hope, that he chose me. I didn't choose him. He chose me. Ask him who's in control of everyone and everything and every event up to and including the salvation of every man. They're all going to same thing, say the same thing. God is in control. God is sovereign. Amen. Ask him how much of their salvation is by the sheer mercy and grace of God. They're going to say the same thing 100%. It's all grace. They all speak the same thing. And ask them what their grounds of acceptance before God is. What is your hope when you stand there on Judgment Day? What hope could you possibly have that God is going to look at you and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. What's your hope of that? You're going to get some variation of this. My only hope is when he says that he's looking at Christ. That he looks to Christ for everything he requires of me, that Christ did it all, and that's it. Every believer speaks the same thing. What he believes, he speaks. We believe the same thing, we speak the same thing. If a man has the spirit of faith, he has the faith of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14 of your text. Paul says, knowing, something every believer knows, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Now, a moment ago, we talked about this spirit of faith, believer's belief. It's the same faith that the Father had in the Son. We talked about it just a moment ago. What this is talking about here is we have the same faith that Christ had in his Father. Now, when the Lord Jesus Christ was on the cross, when he was suffering under the wrath of God, bearing the sins of his elect, this is the last words he said. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. These are his parting words. And after that, he let go. Sovereignty, omnipotence, let go. He let death take him. And he did this, saying this, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. The entire time he was suffering under the wrath of God, the entire time the wrath of God was pouring down upon him, he had no smile from his father. All he had was the wrath, the frown, the fire. That's all he had. He never stopped believing his father. And this is what he believed, that the father was going to keep his word. The father said, if you go, if you live, if you die for them, you bear the wrath, if you put away all that sin, I'm going to raise you from the dead. And that's exactly what Christ was doing. He was trusting his father to do what he said he would do. He's going to raise me from the dead. And he let go and he trusted his father to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And you know what? The father did exactly what he said he was going to do. After three days, the Lord Jesus Christ opened his eyes Father raised him from the dead. He did that because the Lord Jesus Christ did exactly what he said he was going to do. He put away all the sins of all the elect. He swallowed up all the wrath. All the reason that God was angry, angry towards his people, he put it away completely. And having put all the sin away, the Father raised him from the dead. And now we have the same faith in the Father that Christ had. We believe we're going to close our eyes in this death, in this life, if the Lord doesn't come back first. And the Father is going to raise us from the dead. And the evidence of that is this. He's already raised Christ from the dead. He raised him from the dead, which was the sign that Christ was successful in what he did. And now we know the Father is going to do exactly what he did for Christ for us. He's going to raise us from the dead, incorruptible with Christ. We have the same faith that Christ had in the Father.
If a man has the spirit of faith, he hopes in the grace of God. Now look at verse 15. It says, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Now when he says there the abundant grace, that word abundant, what that means is to abound or to superabound. Let me read this to you. This is Romans 5, verse 20. It says, Moreover the law entered, that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now think about this statement for a second. Sin hath reigned unto death. How much power do you and I have to stop death? You might eat right, take care of yourself, exercise, and all those things are good. I'm not saying anything about that. But folks, the healthiest person on the face of the earth has got a date with death. What power do you and I have to stop death? Absolutely none. Sin hath reigned unto death. But this is the abounding grace of God. This is the grace that we hope in. As sin has reigned unto death, so much grace abounds in the same way. You can't stop grace. And nobody can stop grace. Nobody can stop the grace of God from reaching His people. No principalities or powers can. No one can snatch me out of the hand of God. But also this, we can't mess it up either. And folks, we could, or we would if we could. But this is the beauty of this thing, this superabounding grace of God, this grace that always saves the object. This is the beauty of it. The reason for that grace is not found in the object. The reason for that grace is found in Christ. That immutable, that holy one, that righteous one, that one that God is completely and utterly pleased with. And so this is super abounding grace. This cannot be messed up. If God purposes to be gracious to a man, gracious he must be. And that grace is always saving. It's super abounding. We can't mess this thing up. Not principalities or powers that might be against me. Not me. It can't be messed up because that reason for that grace, it's found in Christ. Finally this. If a man has the spirit of faith, he looks to things which are not seen. Look at verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. They're just right now. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Now we looked at this verse, I think, in the first message that we looked at throughout this. Looking to things that are not seen. What are those things I haven't seen that I can't see? Well, I can't see this, folks. I can't see right now that I am completely and utterly righteous before God himself. I can't see that. When I look at myself, all I see is a sinner. I can't see it. I can't see that I am loved of God. I don't have a sticker, I don't have a sign, anything like that. I can't see into the Lamb's book of life to see my name written on those pages. I can't see into the mind and heart of the Lord Jesus Christ as he suffered on the cross, knowing that my name was on his mind, that my name was on his heart. All those things I have not seen. But we have this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, I want to be clear about this, as clear as I can be. Folks, we don't look to our faith. Faith looks to Christ. It looks to Him alone. But folks, that faith 
If right now you're looking to Christ alone, nowhere else, nothing in yourself, please understand that is the evidence of all those things you can't see. You truly are righteous in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have no sin. And the evidence of that is you trust Christ to be your righteousness. You truly are loved of God. The evidence of that is you believe on Christ. You truly are secure in Christ, never to be taken away, never to be plucked out of his hand. The evidence of that is you look to Christ, looking to those things unseen. And he talks about these two things. He talks about things that are temporal and things that are eternal. Now, I'm going to give you this last scripture. This is the parting scripture. It's Hebrews 12, 27. It says, In this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now, folks, a day is coming when everything that is man-made is going to be shaken and it's going to be burned up it's going to go away. Every confidence a man has in his works, his will, in something he's done, something he's made, all those things are going to be shaken. They're going to crumble before God. And the only thing that's going to remain unshaken is going to be what Christ has done. And folks, that's what the spirit of faith looks to. It looks to Christ and those unshakable things that he has done. And folks, if that's where your faith rests, in Christ alone, in his unshakable work, you have that spirit of faith. That's where I'm going to leave you.